Good to see you. Wow, spring break, and we're here. Amen. Good to give yourself a little uh, pat on the back. I'm here on spring break. Huh? How about that? You know, I am, uh, I'm really excited because this is the fifth sermon or sixth sermon in this series on miracles that change lives. And I'm going to be sharing with you in just a few minutes a miracle that was shared with me last week. Um, and we always just seem to, to really be kind of on that doorstep of what God is going to do and what God is doing and, and seeing what God has done. And I, and I want you to know that we are a part of that. I want you to think about like this. Heaven is crowded with kingdom blessings. I want you right now to get in your mind this mental picture. Here's heaven, and things are stacked up in a warehouse. And there's all different shapes and all different sizes of things in that warehouse. And they're blessings that God wants to release on you. But God doesn't open the windows of heaven indiscriminately. God doesn't shower us with the blessings except when we bring heaven to earth, when we really, by faith, open that door to let God do what God does best. And one thing I've found in my life is that generosity unlocks the blessings of God. Every time I'm generous with my time, I get blessed. Every time I'm generous with my gifts, I get blessed. Every time I'm generous with the words that I speak, I get blessed. Every time I'm generous with my resources, I get blessed. You see, what we have to do is learn how to unlock the blessings of God, and we hope today we're going to show you some of that. Also, what I've come to understand is that God-sized visions don't just happen. You know, the vision that you have in your heart, the dream, I mean, think about the last big dream you had. If I could just do that, if this could just happen to me, wouldn't it be great if I could see that in my life? Those things don't just happen because you wish them to happen. They don't just happen because you want them to happen. They happen because not only do you pray and believe, but also you take some action steps to move into that realm to see what God can do. You know, God has led me to challenge you, to encourage you, to care for you, and to love you in the journey that we've been on. And my goal has always been to be obedient to the promptings of God. We began this journey about 25 months ago with boldness and determination. In a lot of ways, we really didn't know where it was going to end up. We had a little glimpse of maybe what might happen, and it's in a lot of ways the same and a lot of ways different than what we thought. We had no money, no equipment. We ventured into the unknown by faith. And the miracles that we've experienced have raised the congregational enthusiasm to new levels. Last week, following the service, I was standing out here, and there was a line of people wanting to talk to me, as there is every week. And a man stepped up, and I really didn't know what I was going to hear. And if you're here, I'm just going to kind of guard your name, but I want to tell your story the best I can remember it. And he said, Pastor Phil, I don't know if you remember, but in December, you prayed for me. And I told you I was going into the hospital for a very serious, a very serious operation regarding my heart. And you prayed something over me like this. I see life on you and not death. I quite honestly don't remember that exact phrase, but it is a phrase that I have used. And I know that 
as he said that, I was resonating with him, and he began to tell his story, spending 41 days in the hospital. He was on life support. He was strapped down so he wouldn't pull the apparatus out of his, out of his mouth. As he laid there, he said, I had a vision. I said, I felt Jesus come and sit on the bed next to me. I actually felt the bed move. And he looked at me, and he said, you're going to be all right. You're going to be fine. And I felt relief. And then he stood up and he left. And a few minutes later, Satan came, and he grabbed the rails on the side of my bed, and he began to shake my bed. And he said, I'm going to kill you. And something went wrong with the equipment. Something tragic happened. And he was pronounced clinically dead in that hospital room. He said, and as I was going through that and Satan was there, I'm going to kill you. I remembered the words that you prayed over me. There is life on you and not death on you. And I came back and the doctor said, we don't know if you know this. We don't know what you experienced, but you died. And now you're alive again. Give God the glory for that. Would you give God the glory? (laughs) Standing right behind him was another man, John. And he was was given a, a diagnosis of cancer. And as he stood there, one of the prayers that we've been joining arms with him on is that prayer that that God would heal him of his cancer. We were also praying that he would be accepted into a clinical trial program that could be very good for his situation. He said, but I prayed this, Pastor. I prayed that, number one, the number of cancer cells and the size of the cancer cells would shrink before I started that clinical process because I wanted to make sure that God got the glory. Not that God doesn't get the glory with the medical, but I just wanted to make sure that that process was begun by God. And however God wanted to use and whoever wanted to use was great. And he gave me a report last week. He said, I want you to know that the number of cancer cells and the size of cancer cells have shrunk already before he ever started the clinical process. Give God the glory for that. (laughs) See, I know that every significant vision and every word of faith that we pronounce over anyone is going to put your courage to the test. You're going to be tested in every step of the journey. And if you think you're not, you don't understand this walk of faith. It is challenging on every hand. We ask God to to, to stir our hearts once again, once more, to renew that wilderness faith that we had. It served us so well up to this point. We look to the future and we want to see what God sees. It's time for us to take the next step in the journey, and I'm just going to ask you to go with me on that journey, to lock arms with me as we together, we do some great things for God's kingdom. I'm so excited that we're going we're to baptize again on Easter. When I watch those probably 20 of the 50 that were baptized, 53 to be exact, last Easter, knowing that it wasn't that long before that that we had baptized another 40 And we've seen like a hundred people baptized in the space of about a year. And now we hope to see another hundred baptized, people who've made decisions for Christ. And and it's just a testimony. You look around and you watch people see that and see what God can do. Let me take you into the Word of God and show you what was going on in the life of David and Solomon. As they prepared to build this temple that God was going to come down and let His glory be seen in. 
In, cha- in 1 Chronicles chapter uh, 29, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says this, Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, Now imagine this scene. They have waited 40 plus years for a permanent place to worship God. They have taken a tent and they've traveled through the wilderness for 40 years. They have grumbled. They have griped. They've seen the miracles, God. They've been challenged on every hand. But I want you to know the challenges in the wilderness were nothing compared to the challenges they were going to have when they moved into the promised land. Because it was in the promised land that they would face giants. It was in the promised land that they would face enemies that they had not seen before. And I want you to know as you move forward in your spiritual life, it might look like it's easier, but it's really more difficult. The challenges become greater. The closer you live to God, the greater the challenges will be. We like to put it like this. When you go to new levels, you're going to encounter new devils. Do not think the enemy is going to let you just kind of sit back and just kind of rest in all of that process. He said, my son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great. And here's why the work is great. Not because it was difficult to build a temple. Not because it was difficult to raise the money for the temple. That was going to be the easiest part of the process. The hardest part was, look, because it's not for man, but it is for the Lord God. Whenever you do something for God, it's always going to be more difficult because you're going to contend with spiritual forces that are going to work against you. They're going to push you down. They're going to try to discourage you. They're going to try to take the life out of you. Don't be surprised if you say, wow, everything was really good when I wasn't living for God, and now I'm living for God, and I've got more challenges than I've ever had before. Well, why do you think? Why do you think? Do you want to cooperate with the enemy, or do you want to go against the grain of the enemy? Do you want to do something great for kingdom and store up uh, rewards in heaven, or do you want to store up rewards on earth? There is a challenge that is put before us by God. He tells us here in verse 2, Now the house of my God I have prepared with all of my might. You know what he did? He said, I'm singly focused right now. I'm doing this with all my might. And then he says, Gold for the things made of gold, silver for the things of silver, bronze for the things of bronze, iron for the things of iron, wood for the things of wood, onyx stones, stones to be set, glistering stones in various colors, all kinds of precious stones and marble slabs in abundance. And here he tells you what the the opulence of this temple is going to be like. You know, it's interesting, when the queen of Sheba came up from Egypt to hear of the wisdom of Solomon, and she saw... She saw the temple. She saw the glory of Israel. The Bible tells us there in the book of Kings that her heart went out. That she could not believe. She was overwhelmed. We think about the glory of Egypt. The Queen of Sheba said there's nothing in Egypt to compare with the glory of Israel in that day. You see, God had done something great in their midst. Moreover, verse 3, I have set my affection on the house of my God. You see, what David had to do is he had to take his affection off of everything and say, I'm going to put God first in my life. When you put God first, God will take care of the other stuff. It's when we try to put our attention on everything else that everything else begins to fall apart. You can't put God second. You have to put God 
first in your life. Well, look what else it says here. He says, uh, I've given all to prepared for the holy house. He says, verse 3, Moreover, I have set my affection on the house of my God. I have given for the house of my God over and above all that I've prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and of silver. And here he is, he's telling us something in this story. He said, you know, number one, he said, I'm preparing something. You know what it's like to prepare something? We had some people over the other day, and my wife spent all day cooking. She had enough food to feed 40 or 50 people. I mean, I looked, she said, what do you think? And I said, it looks like you have too much. She said, well, that's not even the main course. And I said, well, what's up? She said, I just haven't cooked really like this in so long. I'm just having so much fun. And, you know, it, it, kind of when we lived on the East Coast, you know, cold weather would come and there was nothing to do but cook. You know, you just cook and eat and, you know, get a flannel shirt and watch football. I mean, that's what you do on the East Coast. You know, all of a sudden, you know, things change. And so she's having so much fun with, uh, with just going through that process of preparation. Prepare with all your might the things of God. And then he loved. He loved, he set his affection toward the house of God. There's something special about saying, you know, I want to be in the house of God. I want to love the house of God. I want to be a vibrant part of the house of God. And then he said, I gave. I gave unto the house of God. Let's go on and pick up the story now in, in verse 9 and see what else he has to say to us. Verse Chronicles 29.9. Then the people rejoiced, because they had offered so willingly, because with a loyal heart they had offered willingly to the Lord, and King David also rejoiced greatly. Therefore David blessed the Lord. Have you ever blessed the Lord? We want God to bless us. Have you ever blessed the Lord? Just stop for a moment and go, God, I bless you. I bless you, God. I bless you with taking some of my time and loving you. I bless you, God, by, by giving you my talent. I bless you, God, by giving my resources. I bless the Lord. And here we see David saying, he blessed the Lord before all the assembly, and David said, and this is a marvelous prayer of David. Look what he says. Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our God, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory. The victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and earth is yours. You see, it's not mine, it's his. Everything is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted head over all. Both riches and honor come from you. And you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand to make great and to give strength to all. You see, God says it's in my hand to make you great. You say, well, I want to be great. Well, what kind of greatness do you think he's talking about? You certainly don't think it's the puffed up greatness, popularity, you know, kind of uh, celebrity status we see in the world, do you? What would it be like to be great in the kingdom? Remember Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you have to be what? Servant of all. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve 
and give his life as a ransom for all. See, I can make you great, but you're going to have to walk in humility. I can make you great. I can further everything in your life and in your career, in all aspects of your being, but you have to make me first. I can strengthen you, but you have to become weak. As long as you think you're strong, as long as you think you're in control, as long as you try to, to manipulate the situation for your own benefit, you will not be great and you will not be strong. When Paul was, was desperate for the healing hand of God in his life, he called on God, he said, God, remove this thorn in the flesh from me. Heal me, God. And God refused three times, he requested. He said, no, 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 I won't do it. He said, my grace is sufficient, for in weakness are you made strong. I can't be strong until I'm first weak. I can't think about me. I mean, just think about your words and how you look. And Well, if, if everything is focused toward I, you know there's a problem. Because you know what Big Eye does? He comes along and he tries to take control. He looks out for self-preservation, but Big Eye has to face the cross. You have to die to self in order to live unto God. And it says, I'm, I'm, it's my hand to make you great and to give you strength. Verse 13. Now therefore, our God, we thank you and we praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you and of your own we have given to you. I don't have anything. Whatever I have, God gave me. He says, what are you going to do with it? You're going to keep it and act like it's yours? Are you going to give it away? You're going to bless other people because of it. For we are aliens and pilgrims before you. As all of our fathers, our days on earth are a shadow and without hope. If you don't think your days on earth are a shadow, wake up. Wake up and look around. Since we've been in this building, I've probably had four different funerals I've done. All of them great people, all of them people we love. But in every one of them, and every time I do a funeral, and I've probably done hundreds, there's always that reminder. That moment brings us the reminder, our life is but a mist that appears for a little while. It's just a vapor. What will you do with the vapor? What will you do with what you have? It's presumption that says, well, I'll serve God tomorrow. I'll love God tomorrow. I'll get right with God tomorrow. That's presumption. What will you do with God today? How will you love God and love your family today? Because you may not have tomorrow. And he goes on to tell us here in verse 15, for we are aliens and pilgrims before you and we're all our fathers. Our days on earth is a shadow and without hope. O Lord God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build for your house, your holy name is from your hand and your own. And I know also, my God, that you test the heart. You know, I can fool you and you can fool me, but I can't fool God. Don't you hate that? I mean, seriously. Don't you hate the idea that God really knows us? You kind of go, God, can I just kind of, if I don't say anything and if I act real good, you won't know my heart. No, God says, I know your heart and I test it. I put it to the test. 
You ever heard somebody say to you, and they, they, maybe they did something that was kind of out of line, and, and they said, but you don't know my heart. And you're thinking to yourself, well, it's a good thing because the rest of you ain't acting real good. You know what I mean? You don't know my heart. I know, and that's good. You don't know my thoughts. I'm glad for that too. There's a lot of things I'm glad for here, right? He says he tests the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. And as for me in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things and now with joy. I have seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, the fathers keep this forever to the intent of the thoughts of the heart of your people and their heart toward you. And give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes, to do all these things, to build the temple for which I have made provision. And David said to all the, all the assembly, now bless the Lord. Now just bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord your God. So all the assembly blessed the Lord their God and their fathers. They bowed their heads and they prostrated themselves before the Lord their God, their King. It's a long story, but I wanted to read it to you. You know, I got to thinking about that story. I thought, I've got in this pocket here, I've got two nickels. And you know, I have a choice. I can take those two nickels and I can close up my hand and I could, I could, I could say I'm not releasing those two nickels. And if I don't release those two nickels, when God wants to open up and give me more, let's say God brings from heaven and let's say he's going to shower on me blessings. I can't receive them because I've got a closed hand. But let's suppose that I say, those are yours, God. I release them again. I release them again. You see, a closed fist before God never works. When we open and release, when we open and release, the blessings of God begin to come. I want you to see something, that the Spirit of God opens our heart. In 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 12, it was David who said that it was the Spirit of God who gave him the plans for the temple. And then in verse 19 of that chapter, it says, and he wrote the plans out. That elaborate temple was not given, designed by man. It was given by God. And I want you to see this, that our hearts are like gates and through which the spirit realm interacts with the natural realm. Thoughts and words open up those gates. When I speak words of faith, I open up the heart gate to receive the things of God and to release the things of God. When our hearts are open, we receive revelation that is beyond the natural realm. In the book of Mark chapter 3 and verse 5, there was a man who came to Jesus with a withered hand. And I'm sure he had sought all kinds of help. I'm sure he had gone to physicians and doctors and he'd looked for some kind of help. But no one was able to give him any help at all. What happened? What changed? Jesus looked at him and when he saw it, he saw differently. Jesus didn't see a withered hand, he saw a restored hand. You see, we have to see things like Jesus sees things. Jesus saw in the spirit realm, he opened up his heart, he saw into the spiritual realm, and he said, in the spiritual realm, this man can be made whole. 
He saw a restored hand. God wants us to open up the heart and say, let me see what God sees. Let me get a God perspective on this. I've been living by a human perspective way too long. We are to love the house of God. Listen as I take you through some scriptures. Psalm 27 and verses 4 and 5 says this. One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all my days, to behold the beauty of the Lord. That's in the spirit realm, I see that. To inquire in his temple. For in time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me and he shall set me high upon a rock. Psalm 84 and verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be one day in the house of God than a thousand anywhere else. I'd rather be the doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of righteousness. Psalm 26 and verse 8, Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, the Bible says that, that we should not be ignorant of the devices of the enemy, the tricks, the way he works. You know, the devil uses negative thoughts to incite fear in us. He wants to keep us away from good news of any kind. Have you ever noticed how television news never has good news, and when they do, it's like breaking news? Oh, here's a touching story about a cat that was rescued by a fireman. Is that all the good news we have in Orange County right now? I mean, I'm a dog lover, so leave the cat up there as far as I'm concerned. But have you ever noticed that people never gossip good news? Hey, come over here. I've got to tell you something. What is it? Some good news? Don't tell anybody. I got some good news. People never gossip about good news. They're going to tell you bad news. Hey, I got to tell you this. Not supposed to tell anybody. Well, then why are you telling me? If you're not supposed to tell anybody, I know, but I just, so you can, this is the Christian version, so you can pray. Because I know you're going to want to pray about this. And if you don't know every, every sordid detail, then you can't pray effectively because the Spirit of God needs to be informed. He's in the dark on this one. you got to get him up, bring him up to speed. The devil knows that people thrive on good news. So what he does, he plants negative thoughts and negative news in your heart, and you live in this spirit of discouragement, thinking all is bad. You know what, what the gospel is called? It's called the what news? Look, let's say it together. It's called the what? The good news. we got good news. You see, if we're not careful, all we do is we focus in on man's sin and what's bad. Well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you were that before. You're a saint of the living God now. You've been redeemed. All your sins, past, present, and future, are wiped away. The only people that's going to bring them up is going to be the devil and your wife. <laughs> Amen? We got good news. You see, the good news that God gives us and the good news we share with one another, what it does is it sets our mind free so we can then become receptive to God and the beauty of God in the kingdom. You see, in Christ, you are irreversibly blessed. Irreversibly blessed in Christ. That's pretty good news. God wants us to open heaven with generosity. In Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 8, it says, The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses. God says, I'm going to bless you, and nobody can stop it. I command it. I command it. 
the blessing on you and your storehouses and all that you have set your hand, and he will bless you. He will bless you in the land which the Lord God is giving you. Psalm 35, verse 27, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. 3 John, verse 1 and 2. Beloved, I pray that you will prosper. That's a word that means in business affairs. In all things and be in health, that's your physical being. Just as your soul, that's your mind, your will, and your emotion prospers. God says, I'm concerned about every dimension of your life, how you do in your business, how you do in your mind, your soul, your spirit, your emotions, how you do in your uh, in your emotions and every dimension of your being. I am concerned about that and I want that to be good. Let me give you some life applications. Here's the first one. Hearing from God is exhilarating. When you hear God speak, you go, whoa, I think God just spoke to me. I think God just spoke to me. Well, what'd he say? Well, I didn't know if I like it. Because he told me to do this, he told me to do that. No, if God speaks, that's powerful. Let me show you something else. Risk-free faith doesn't exist. Every time I take a big step of faith, scares me to death. It does. If it doesn't scare you a little bit, it may not be a big step yet. Make a bigger step. One decision, watch this, one decision, listen to this now, listen carefully, one decision eclipses fear and doubles your faith. Now you go, you know, when you, when you run from, from the things you're afraid of, have you ever noticed how they get bigger? The giants get bigger. You're moving farther away from it and you're going, why is he getting bigger? Because you're running from your fear. When you face your fear, and one of the great fears of life is, can I trust God? Can I believe God because I am so reliant on me? I'm so reliant on me. Here's one thing I know. I know that every significant vision, every word of faith is going to put your courage to the test. Today I want to raise a clarion call to action. I want to ask God to stir your heart, stir my heart once again in a powerful way. We announced that our two-year anniversary, we said there's some things that we want to see God do right away. There's some things we, we're going to believe God for over the next 33 months. And one of the things we share with you, we said we, we need to add some staff, and I we're so pleased to, to uh, welcome Sharia to our staff. I also would like to announce, we'll do it more, more in, a, in a more polished manner, but I also want you to know that uh, uh, Jesse and Laura have agreed to come as our student ministry pastors, and they'll be starting in the month of May. And God has just opened that door up for us as well. We said we wanted to get the monument signed. You'll notice it's up. The letters will go on. It'll be up by Easter. We've seen God do that. We wanted to get the playground. We've got first step. We've ordered all the fencing for the playground. We've still got some more stuff to do on the inside, but to, to believe God for. We wanted to enhance our video equipment. We've been able to, to add some more equipment in there. We've seen God do some things just in the last month. 
that really are pretty amazing. We wanted to pay down and, and kind of start eliminating all the things and finishing the details we have, and God's doing that in our coffee shop. If you haven't visited, go back there and visit the coffee shop, and we have an addition coming. If you know Kimmy's Restaurant, Kimmy's Coffee Cup, and now we have a Kimmy's Grab and Go, you'll be able to get sandwiches there during the week, and we're just seeing God just keep blessing us more and more. You're going to see a major enhancement in the front of this building. We're, going to, we're enlarging the stage, changing the set design. We're getting where, rid of the old black carpet. And uh, God's going to just give us a beautiful enhancement. You're going to see it on Easter. God's doing some great things. It's time for us to take the next step in the journey. And I'm just going to ask you to move forward with me. Inside that bulletin that you have today, there's an envelope that looks like this one right here. I'm just going to ask you to take it out right now. And as you take it out, I, I, uh, I know it's not the first time you've seen it. We've been given the packets out and made them available for the last five weeks. So it's not the first time you've seen it. If you're visiting today, trust me, this is not for you. And, uh, you know, don't feel like any, under any pressure. And really nobody should feel any pressure. I think we really need to just follow and do what God says to do. You know, when my wife and I have talked about it and prayed about it and tried to just see what God would have us to do and and the leading of God is always pure and always right and always good. And so our goal, honestly, our goal is, is $2 million, that we want to raise $2 million over the next 33 months so that we can take a big bite out of or even eliminate, if possible, the mortgage that we have. We don't want to anything to be restrictive of what God might want to do in the future. Before coming in today that we had about... 10% of that committed to this project. About $200,000 was already committed or given for us to move forward with this dream and this vision. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, I don't really have much. You know, it's not about how much you have and how much you can give. It's how much you're, you know, it's how collectively that all comes together. You know, some of us can give a, a little bit and some of us can give a lot. You know, it's, it's an equal sacrifice is what it might come down to, to meaning. For us to reach $2 million, let me just tell you what it means. It means that one person has to give $200,000 over the next 33 months. And you're thinking to yourself right now, it's not me. But it's somebody. We need two people to give $100,000. We need four people to give $50,000. We have eight people to give $30,000. We could go on down the list. We need people that will give $1,000 over the course of three years. About a third of the gifts are going to come from people who just say, I'm giving you everything I got, and it may not look like a lot, but it's all I got. You know what? All of that works together. I, I got to go on record as telling you I'm not in that first group. I'd like to be. I'm just not there. But I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to take that card right now and just bow your heads with me in prayer. Would you do that? I'm just going to ask you to pray out loud with me right now. Dear God, I ask you to open my heart and just show me what I should give, if I should give, and how I should give. I don't want any pressure from this moment. I don't want any pressure from this message. I want you to open my heart and speak to me. 
And if there's something I can do, and it's what you want me to do, then lead me in that path. I love you, Jesus. And I know your love for me is not dependent on my giving, but it's all your grace. Thank you for the grace received. Thank you for the love that you give me. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask Will to come to the keys and just play for a few minutes. I want you just to take a few minutes right now and sit there. And, and if you're ready to make your commitment today, just fill out that card. And um, in just a few minutes, the men are going to pass the, the offering, and you can place it in there. If you're not ready, you can take it home and pray over it and see if God leads you and how God leads you. So, and then after the offering's over, we're going to give you the freedom to go to the cross and offer a prayer and go to a communion table if you'd like to do that. But let's just take a few minutes and just really seek the Lord right now and just pray for Him as, as, uh, as, we, as we do that. God, as we take this offering, we just give everything to you, God. God, teach us to walk by faith and not by sight. Teach us to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We pray in Jesus' name. all just stand together and bless the Lord our God as we receive his blessings on us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. God, I sense right now some people just have some fears in their heart. God, would you take that fear away? Would you fill it with joy? Fill it with courage and fill it with power. May the Lord bless you May he keep you. May you feel safe in his arms. May the Lord lift up his face and his countenance upon you. May he give you a joy 
that's indescribable. May your future be secure. May your hope be sound. May you have good health, good friends, good times. And may you walk in the influence that God has given you by His Spirit and by His Word. Would you just bless the Lord? Bless the Lord with me. Would you just say that? I bless you, Lord. I bless you, Lord. I bless you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Hey, just one thing as you go today. Um, if you want to learn more about baptism, we... Uh, uh, I'll take a few minutes, and we'll be in the multipurpose room, which is the first, second door out when you go here to your left. And I'll be sharing, giving you some material, and you can think about it, pray about it, ask some questions. But uh, we want to make that opportunity available for you. If you've signed up, we encourage you to be there for that. And we just pray you'll have a great day in the Lord. And uh, if you need any additional information about the, the Miracle Campaign, the guys have an envelope, and you can see them, and they'll be glad to give you more stuff if you need more stuff. Anyway, God bless you. Say hi to somebody and give them some good news. Amen.